Yeah, you may be seated or you may remain standing if you would like. That's the Old Testament way the preacher would sit and the people would stand. I kind of like that idea. Thank you, uh, Ben and the team. Um, ben is at Life Pacific University and he's an intern with us. And this is his first time he's leading worship with the band. And, uh, and uh, I actually, for the offering thing, I was like, Ben, just do something that's, that's your heart. Bring your heart of worship. And so he arranged that version, the chords and everything, and then the band jammed on it. So really cool. Really appreciate these guys. So we're going to go straight into the text this morning. This is the last week in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, it will be on the screen also, but if you do have a Bible or an electronic uh, device of some kind, we're going to be in the very last section, which is chapter 4 of Philippians, uh, verses 10 to 23 uh, this morning. So I'm just going to go straight in and read it. Um, Final words, Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings, so greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Uh, final words. Um, last week, I really appreciate Josh. Uh, Josh Coyer is our youth pastor. Is Josh here? No, he's always with the kids, right? He's with the middle school kids. Um, I'd much rather be here than with the middle school kids, just to let you know. <laughs> so hats off to Josh Coyer once again. But last week he brought a really um, thought-provoking message about anxiety and faith. Uh, and I know it connected with a lot of us because anxiety is kind of uh, part of our modern world and even growing more so. I've had my own encounters uh, with anxiety uh, especially at the beginning of last year, even in the midst of thinking about maybe coming to Southern California to serve as a pastor here. Um, and so I know what it's like, uh, where suddenly uh, you just feel this, the dead weight of your life and, and a struggle. And Josh just explained very clearly, I think, one of the things is he said was when it says, be, don't be anxious for anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. He was saying this is not a formula, you know, to say, 
if you just do this, you will not struggle with anxiety any longer. Um, and that was really helpful to say, even in the midst of a faithful life of prayer and uh, participation in the fellowship, uh, you can still struggle. Um, and so I just want to say thank you to Josh um, for that. Uh, you know, life is complicated. Life is a struggle often. Uh, we're faced with all kinds of challenges uh, in, in this thing we have called time, how to use it, how to best use it, how to, what to prioritize. Um, and often I find myself, as I am faced with the challenges of life, looking for something that would help me to, to get it right. Uh, some um, one thing that will bring health to whatever aspect of my life I'm concerned about at the time, whether it's organizing my time or a fresh approach to diet or health or career relationship or even just how do I connect with God. Uh, how many of you have been through, uh, if you're a Christian for a long time, like so many devotional books that were said, you know, it's gonna help you to connect with God more deeply and then five days after you start, it just goes back on the shelf again and you find yourself, your eyes ranging around for that one thing that's gonna bring vibrancy to your spiritual life. Um, even just for me, it's a massive amount of paper. My life seems to be run by paper. And, and there's a method they say, every time a piece of paper comes to your desk or whatever, it should go filed or it should go in the trash or recycle whatever, not the trash, the recycling. Um, and, and, but I still find myself just engulfed with paper. And, and I think if there's just one way, one method to, to um, make it better for me. This is kind of a human thing. That we, I think we're all looking for that uh, magic wand or the silver bullet or something that if we just discover this one thing, it would, it would add uh, a whole new uh, health to our life or whatever aspect of it is. It's given rise to a huge market uh, in, in books um, called self-help books. You guys have never read a self-help book, right? Never reached a, or even just perusing on just that sense of like, maybe this is the one to fix me. Um, I looked at Amazon and it says over 50,000, and that's because that's the limit. It can only save over, you know, 50,000. It's not exactly 50,000. So I don't know how many self-help books there are on Amazon that you can buy, but that is a lot of self-help. There's actually uh, self-produced self-help books too, which gets even more complicated. You know, it's like one person has bought it, you know, but everyone's making books claiming that they know this, this, the, the way you can kind of uh, live a better way. I was in a bookstore the other day at Barnes & Noble and I asked one of the assistants, hey, can you direct me and show me where the self-help section is? And she said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but that would uh, defeat the purpose. Come on, guys. These are the, this is the material, guys. I didn't, it's just, um, uh, what's the name? Um, Carling. Um, he's a smutty mouth, potty mouth guy, right? George Carling, that's one of his jokes. His delivery's better. I asked another assistant, I said, do you have any books on paranoia? And she whispered, There, there are so many resources out there that claim to, to offer us this, what we seek actually is you know, a, a way to live better or, or fix some aspect of our lives. And it all sounds so simple uh, on the book cover, right? Or you read the back, you're like, and it just, it's that sense of recognition. Maybe this is what I, what I need. And so many of them begin with these, this phrase, the secret of, or the, the, the secret of, like, so it's some unknown thing, unknown to most people, but this wonderful person has finally put together a book to share the secret with the rest of us dummies. Uh, and, and if we buy it for the low price of only $12.99, or even less if it's electronic, you will enter a whole new way of living that you had previously been, been unknown to you. But thanks to this person sharing the secret. Has anyone read the book that's literally called The Secret? 
Anyone read that book? I've never read it, but it's like, it's, it remains a secret to me to this day. But the secret, there's the secret of code of success, seven steps, hidden, hidden steps, okay? It's not obvious, you've got to find out from this book to more wealth and happiness, and who wouldn't want those two things in combination with each other? And there's only seven of them, seven only. Uh, the secret to maxing out your social security. The older I get, the more that book is just, I need to get a copy of that book. Um, the secret to achieving more by doing less in college, <laughs> right? I tell you, for, there was a few more college students in the first service, and I, I, I was literally their kind of Amazon, you know, wish list, stick it on there. Um, the secrets of longevity, hundreds of ways to live to 100. So the catchy title is always important. And so it's, it's, there's actually uh, global ones. My sister, who's here from Scotland, was telling me uh, about a book um, which tells you how to make a Scottish home, which apparently is, 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 is the new thing. What was the other one again? Norwegian? Yeah, Danish. There was a Danish one. Everyone thinks their country's got the best or whatever, right? And, and the self-help shelves are full of books from different countries. There's Danish secrets to happy living is one. Any people from Denmark here or origin, ancestry of Danish? Are you happy? <laughs> you are the proof of this thing, whether it works or not. Um, the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. Yeah, so uh, the Swiss secret to optimal health. Um, and cuckoo clocks. It's all about cuckoo clocks and chocolate. Well, I, I've decided that Scotland needs a representation in this kind of uh, genre, so I have published my own book. It's called Haggis, The Scottish Secret to Health and Wealth. Okay, so I recommend you get a, a co- be copies in the foyer. They're signed and a nice Christmas gift for the, for the loved ones in your lives. But how many of you have seen these books? You know, you know what these things are, right? How many of you have actually purchased, read, borrowed a self-help book ever in your life. Wow, you guys are pretty, uh, that's not that many people. Wow, I'm impressed. Um, how many of you have written a self-help book? <laughs> okay, no one. Um, but, you know, the, the, there's a massive and ever-growing accumulation of these books, and, and most of them end up in Goodwill. If you want a self-help book, don't go and pay full price at Barnes & Noble. Go to Goodwill or a thrift store, and the shelves are just lined with these things that have been discarded by disappointed people who thought this was the final answer to change their life for good, forever, for the rest of their life, and then it just does not deliver, and they say, well, off to the thrift store. And then they go back to the store, and they're like, oh, but this one perhaps will be the one. And I think this is our uh, spirit of our age. In this day and age, we have come to expect some kind of quick fix. Um, we want it now. We want to we we fix it. Just give me the clue. Give me the answer. Give me the, the spell, the incantation, the ritual, whatever it might be to make this work. Um, and spirituality is no exception. There are so many books, whether Christian or some general sense of spirituality, Books promising to let you into the secret formula to have a vibrant, rich spiritual life that somehow up until now, not only you, but all of civilization have somehow missed until this author has suddenly chanced upon something that is helpful. And some of them, I'm not knocking at all, some of these books are really helpful, but I think the the impulse that they feed into is sometimes not healthy. Uh, We've been in Philippians for nine weeks. It's actually the very last week of this letter. And the Apostle Paul writes these words at the very end. Uh, And just... Uh, kind of meditating on how important this section is then. If this is the last thing that he gets to say, this is a time when there was no internet, there was no phones, there was no means of connecting uh, with anyone but the bringing to and fro of letters. 
So these are the very, very last words that he gets to share from prison with no idea how long he's got to live, with friends who he dearly, dearly loves. The letter is full of expressions of deep love for these people. And these are the last words he gets to say, the possibly the last words ever. Um, what does he tell them? It's obviously going to be important. Um, and here's what he tells them. The majority of this is really about his, his sense of having achieved something. He says that he's learned the secret of living in plenty and in abundance or in need. That he's learned the secret of being content in whatever situation he finds himself in, whether during seasons of being brought low or in times of abundance. He's learned something seemingly profound that he calls a secret. Paul, this sounds like just a thing for us. This is good. This plays right into our desire to find some quick fix. Fantastic. Paul's telling us he can be content in every circumstance. He says he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And furthermore, he promises them that God will supply all of their needs. Every single one of their needs, God will supply. This just keeps getting better and better. This is a good Sunday to have come. I bet you're glad you came because all these answers are going to come, come to you today, finally. Um, we have three new books penned by the author, Paul, the apostle. Um, and they're going to go in the bookstore shelves. The first is called The Secret of Complete Contentment. Yes, Paul, share this book with us. The second, the secret of being able to do absolutely anything, all things through Christ. And the third, the secret of unlimited supply. But here's the thing, for any of us who have um, been in this faith, the Christian faith, trying to follow Jesus, and I say trying, because you know, that's what it's taking, right? Um, we will realize that it's not that simple. It is not that simple. There is no simple just switch that you can turn uh, or book that you can read uh, because uh, it's, it's complicated and challenging. And actually, sometimes the more you try to follow Jesus, the more resistance you start to feel. And, and, and I don't know if anyone, has anyone discovered that secret, that one secret that you'd like to share with us this morning? Because if you have, please come up and stand here and I will get out of your way and you can tell us that one thing that will answer every single situation problem perfectly. There is nothing like that available. Um, some preachers will try and tell you that there is. There are some people who pander religious solutions that apparently uh, are, are the means of, of complete happiness, wealth, everything. And their big shiny cars and fast jet planes will testify to the fact that apparently for them it's become true. But unfortunately, many of these people are trying to sell you books, uh, uh, which will ultimately leave you disappointed. Uh, and I think if you spend time with any person, no matter how much they claim to have discovered the secret to serenity, whatever it might be, if you spend long enough with them, weeks and months and years, you will see that they too struggle with all of the stuff that you struggle with. They still face the dark night of the soul. They daily, they wrestle with choices, with, with life itself. Amen, sister. My friend over there. Preach it. And don't worry, as I always say, if you don't hear little kids' sounds in your church, it means your church is dying, right? Because those little children are, are gifts, beautiful. Um, so here's the thing, though. Paul clearly does want to teach us something. He seems pretty eager to tell the people in Philippi that he has discovered something and that he thinks it would be good if they discovered this too and that they imitated his behavior. So in some ways, it almost sounds like the same kind of stuff we're talking about. I have discovered the secret to live with contentment in any circumstance I find myself. Um, so maybe as we read the letter too in the same spirit, 
uh, that they received it, maybe we too can, can find this. Like a really important thing that I need to point out first is, what is the goal? What is the goal? What is it we're trying to achieve here? Because you know, they always say, you know, if you aim at nothing, you're likely to hit it, right? Uh, and if you don't have a goal, well, the whole letter has been telling us what is the goal of what Paul is calling them to is, is actually so different from what so many of these uh, claimed secrets of to good life are teaching us. And basically, he's calling them to selfless, sacrificial love for God and others. He's saying something has happened among you. God has shown up in the neighborhood with you and in you. And now you are called. Your life is about growing into that. Uh, to do what, what God always said, to love the Lord, you go with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's the secret to, to this kind of living. This is what it is. And so many of these things are about, I want to be satisfied, I want to be healthy, I want to be wealthy, I want to be uh, content, I want to have joy, I want to be organized, all of those things. So much of it just appeals to that letter I, which is so much of our culture is all about. And, and Paul is the opposite of that. He's saying, uh, this is not for you. I've learned the secret, but it is for others, it's for God and others. So what can we learn? What is his secret? What's Paul's big secret that, he, that he's trying to communicate to us? Uh, well, the word secret is an important one to understand in this passage because, um, of course, it's not in the original language, it's in Greek. Uh, and we've talked before about this, that Paul was using the language and the, and the words that people were familiar with at that time, and he's using them in a different way to try and teach them something. Uh, the word secret doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament, the word that he uses in this. So he's specifically writing to this church in this place using this word that apparently they, were, they knew what that word meant and what it was connected with. And what most people say it was connected with was what were called mystery religions. In, in the Roman world, in the Greek world, there was these things called mystery religions. They would teach you the mysteries. And basically, they were like secret clubs that you could be initiated into. And they all claimed to have some specific ritual or way of doing things that would, that would bless you and benefit you. Much the same as a lot. It's kind of the self-help books of the time. It's like a self-help club. Um, in fact, one of the translations of the verse about, with the secret says, he says, I, Paul is saying, I have been thoroughly initiated into the secret. And they would go, wow, this is kind of like those, those religions that we understand, these clubs, these cults that we can join. Uh, and many of the people in Philippi were probably, had been members of them. And they'd gone with the express desire to learn something that, that, that they could uh, conquer life and the difficulties of life that everyone faced. And they were looking for the secret. Tell me the secret. And they would pay a lot of money off into these organizations to find what the secret was that could help them. Uh, ironically, we don't have a great deal of information about these secret societies, possibly because they were secret societies. Um, and actually, there was penalties if you shared this kind of stuff. They were very secretive. Um, but Philippi was full of these things. Um, Paul is probably using this to get them thinking about these groups who talk about that if you come away from your life and you come over here, I will teach you, we will teach you these ways to overcome in life and to be an overcomer and to be victorious or be wealthy or be healthy, whatever. But he was putting a total twist on it because that's not what he is telling them at all. Uh, do you think sometimes we present Christianity like that? Like, like we have the, the, you know, your life's pretty good, but if you just come to church and sing some songs with us and put money in the plate and read your Bible, 
your pretty wonderful life is, is gonna be even better. It's like the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake that is already your life. It's very consumeristic, you know? Um, Paul is not calling these people to just add this thing, like another club that you can join. There's an exclusivity of Christ that he is saying, this is now your life. Um, so, um, so Paul refers to this group, but he's actually, as he often does, like he talked about citizens, when you're a citizen of Rome, and then he says a citizen of heaven, everything about what they thought a citizen was is, has to be rethought out. And it's the same for this, because actually, Paul's exhaustion is not that you step away from your life and come over here in the corner and we will tell you some secrets which then you will go back and apply. He's not doing that at all. What he is doing, he's actually telling them that um, they will learn as he has learned the secret or the way of, of living as they live, okay? That they already have it. Paul would not have us understand that the initiation into the secrets are to be discovered despite life's challenges, but actually because of life's challenges. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I have discovered this in the midst of my life. And the life has been the content of the lesson and the schoolroom in which I have learned these things. So just to get that, that's just that difference here, okay? So the, the cults that they understood, you would step out of your life because it's a problem. It's a problem, right? And many religions and spiritualities say life is a problem, the difficulties of life, the stresses, the evil, all this stuff, it's a problem. I need to step away from that, find out some knowledge or something to bring back to my life. And Paul's saying, no, your life is your life. This is the reality. And in this place is where you will discover what it means to be human, what it means to connect with God and connect with others. And this is what he has experienced. One of the writers I read about this said, the concrete stresses... And gifts of daily life are the place where Paul has undergone the mysteries, i.e. experienced the power of Christ. So he's saying, as, you, as he's living, he has discovered this through the very act of living in challenges. Um, Paul has experienced a lot of stuff. Who, who knows the stuff that the Apostle Paul went through? He, he lived quite the life. Second Corinthians is a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth, and he said, he just talking about like, here's what I've undergone for the sake of this gospel. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Why can't you just say 39? 40 minus one. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked." And I have learned the secret to be content in any circumstance. And it was, so it seems somehow that in this living, he has drawn from that an understanding of himself and of God that was being progressive through his life. From a time when he was an enemy of the church till God knocked him off of his pedestal and called him to reorient his life to God and towards the mission. So um, it's interesting as well, Paul's, uh, he's not just talking about the difficult things, 
His life also involves some incredible things, uh, miraculous events and deep fellowship with people. Those places too are the places where he has been learning what it means to be human and to become content with that. Uh, This is the way he sees his life. Early on in Philippians, we heard this amazing phrase that Paul says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live, just the simple fact of living in his circumstances with what he knew, who he was, where he had been, to live my life is Christ. So here's the point. First point is life will teach a willing student. We want to learn how to live, how to grow, how to mature. Life itself, your life, not someone else's life, your life will teach a willing student, all of it the good and the bad and everything in between. The way in which Paul describes the substances of his life experiences in terms of being brought low and abounding plenty, hunger, but also abundance and need. It's kind of interesting. He talks about those in the same kind of, um, the same kind of, uh, well, the same sentence saying like, I, I, you would expect him just to say in times I've been brought low and difficult times I've learned these things. But he also talks about an abundance and plenty. Um, And I I think it's interesting that sometimes uh, we need just as much to uh, let the the good times have their effect as the difficult times also do, because sometimes actually good times can be a greater challenge to our faith than difficult times. We actually learn a lot about ourselves and how deep our faith goes when things are really good, when life is wonderful, when circumstances are fantastic. Paul's saying, I've actually learned how to overcome the good in my life to learn to be content in any circumstance. It's the whole thing, all of his life, everything, not as he wished it was, but as it actually is, is the place where he is learning something vital that he wants to share with his friends. Yes, they're experiencing the beginnings of persecution. Yes, he's in jail. Yes, who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow for them, but he's saying, this is your life. This is the place where you are learning what I have learned, so be, be there. It's clear also that Jesus lived this kind of way. Paul always looks to the example of Jesus and says, why did Jesus live? What was his concept of his own life? I want to be like that. And he's saying, as much as I can be like that, follow my example. And this one fits so well that once again, words, I love words. Words, uh, and, and, and a letter like this, they are it's important to understand what words he is using, words he's not using, how often they occur, and those kinds of things. And he uses this word in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be brought low. There's only one other use of this phrase, to be brought low, and it's talking about Jesus. And that piece we talked to, it says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. He humbled himself. Paul is almost rejoicing to say, I know what it means to be brought low. It's part of my life. And it's actually an unavoidable part of my life. And it's actually a place where I will learn. Because Jesus, do I think I will outdo him? His example was that he obeyed and was able to become low, humbled himself to obedience to the cross. And Paul wants to emulate that kind of living. And it's not an anomaly and nothing has gone wrong. It is part of human life. And in some ways it can be a gift to us to see our own need for God and to see other people and to really, uh, yeah, Hebrews uh, chapter five, seven to nine talks about Jesus. And this is kind of a little off-putting for some people maybe talking about Jesus like this. Because wasn't Jesus perfect? 
Didn't Jesus walk through life with all the suffering with, you know, nary a kind of cry or, you know, because he was God, right? Uh, but we have to remember that Jesus was fully human, fully, fully human. And here's what it says in Hebrews. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Does that like, sound like someone immune to the stuff that we encounter? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus lived fully into his life uh, and did not hold back from the suffering that is the stuff of all of our lives. Uh, And so Paul wants to see that. At one point earlier he said, I want to know the glory of of Christ, but also be a fellow, the fellowship of his sufferings, knowing that even those parts of life are where he is learning to really live. Um, Melody uh, Anderson um, had an event a couple of weeks ago called Hack the Holidays. Is anyone there? Very high voices of people that were there. Okay, it was a women's event. We men were not allowed to go. We apparently need to, don't need to hack the holidays. Uh, we're, we're observers of hacking, not, not doers. Um, but for those of you who, because of your gender, were excluded from such a wonderful event, which I heard was wonderful, um, except for Tyler, our worship leader got to go because they needed him to lead worship. Yeah, you need us when you need us, ladies, but you know, I'm kidding. Wow, I didn't know I'd come a new song to hear misogyny and chauvinist pig stuff. Um, but so she talked about hack, hack the holidays, and it was things like, you know, how to hack things, a simpler, quicker route to something, right? And, and it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna make things easier and better, right? And there was different stations, there was something to do with hack your makeup for the holidays, you know? Um, which is, uh, and then, uh, like, uh, Christmas wrapping. What other ones were there? What else did you hack? Huh? Wardrobe? Hack the food, yeah, I like that. But Melody, had, she gave a kind of talk around that time and she was saying, what about the spiritual life? What are the hacks for, for your spiritual life? And, and she uh, confided that there is no such thing as a, a hack for that. And actually there are habits. It's life. You live out these habits and it is not an overnight quick thing. You don't just get from zero to 100 uh, to find yourself deeply committed to your neighbor and God overnight by some spell, trick, superstition, whatever it might be, or ritual, or just coming to church and sitting on a chair for 40 minutes listening to some raving Scotsman. Um, There are no quick hacks. This is Paul saying. Life is the place where we learn. Our life, not the life that we wish it was, not the life that somebody else seems to be living, but my circumstances right now, as painful and difficult and arduous as they may be, is the place where I will learn if I am willing. And this is, so the second point here is just showing up is 99% of the work. Just showing up to your own life. Not sitting and watching it go by you. Not envying other people their life, but actually getting up in the morning and living your life, the only you can live. I talked about Peter and Howard and Mark and these elders, and I just think, man, only those men could have been used how God used them to bring us to the point where we are today in this particular church, this fellowship. And they showed up and stepped into their own life as difficult as that was at times, and often it was very difficult. My mom uh, our mom, my sister's here. Woohoo, it's so cool. 
haven't, we haven't spent a long time together for a while, so she's here for four weeks. Uh, but our mother, and you know what I mean when I say our mother, there's a whole load of stuff connected to that. You guys don't, I've not met my mum yet, she's, a, she's amazing, she's a scream, right? But she said, if I ever write my autobiography, the title of it is gonna be, you put your whole self in. And I always loved that, right? Not just your left leg in or your right arm in, right? You put your whole self in, and what do you do? You shake it all about. Doesn't that sound like a cool life? And I think we are frightened to do that sometimes. But I think that's a fantastic message. You put your whole self in. It doesn't matter what that happens to be at this point. You can't really escape it. You can just minimize it. You can just shut yourself off from it. Or you can step right in and say, here I am, life. I am here. Um, And that's what Paul did. He showed us that. This letter to the church in Philippi is, is, is a connection of deep relationships that did not spring up from nothing. It, it required intentionality. In Acts, we read in Acts uh, before coming to Philippians that Paul and Silas, these two guys that were out sharing the gospel, they wandered into this town called Philippi. Uh, and um, uh, Luke, who was probably uh, writing about their, their, uh, this episode, in Acts, he wrote, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, okay? So they're, they're doing their life. They're walking along. What did they do? They intentionally chose on the Sabbath day to go to a place where they believed there would be a place of prayer with people who somehow were seeking God in some way, uh, and they chose to do that. And what happened there? They met this woman called Lydia. And she was a very wealthy person and a dealer in fine cloths, it says. And she was someone who had a fear of God, a reverence for God. She was a Godward person, even though she was probably not Jewish. And she may have been involved in all kinds of these religions that we're talking about. But she had this sense of, I want to know what this is about. (laughs) These ultimate questions. I wonder who God is and I'm seeking that out. And so they met this woman there. And she heard the good news about Jesus, that he had come, that he had conquered death. And there was a new way to be a human being as God had originally intended that his creation was being made new again in us. And she responded and she received it and she was baptized and the church was born in Philippi. There wasn't a church there when Paul came. They didn't say, hey Paul, we got a slot on Sunday, November 24th, can you come fill in because you know, we need someone else to speak about this thing and we'll pay you like a bit of money and stuff. He showed up, he just simply showed up um, and God showed up when he showed up. Imagine Paul and Silas, instead of going down to that place of prayer, had checked into their hotel. They managed to get an early check-in, so it was pretty cool. Um, and just like took that outer cover off the bed because that hardly is riddled with diseases, right? They don't change that part. So just a tip for the future. Take that thing off and throw it in the corner of the room, but they'd done that. And then they switched the television off and they kicked back with a Dr. Dr. Pepper or something and they just kind of spent, this is chill. Or they went to the city and said, okay, how can we make some money when we're here in this city? How can we exploit what we see in the culture here to make some money out of these people? Maybe we could write a self-help book, uh, The Secret of Unlimited you know, pr- Provision, right? And, but no, they didn't do that. They, whether they went there to evangelize people or they just went there because on the Sabbath, they knew that it would be important for them to join with others in a time of prayer because their very souls needed it, especially in light of all the challenging things they've been facing. Either way, they were very intentional about stepping into their lives with others. And the church was born. We said that when we show up, when you show up, God shows up. When we shrink back, we are not gonna experience or encounter 
him like we will if we throw ourselves in, your whole self in and shake it all about. In this letter, there's lots of uh, expressions about participation. It's full of these kind of expressions like conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's very intentional. Conduct yourselves in light of who Christ is. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That doesn't mean God's saying, I'm gonna make you suffer. It's saying that uh, in light of your affiliation, your association, your uniting with Christ, you will suffer because you're gonna see things in the world that cause you to grieve and you're gonna step into messy situations that cause you to get that splashed upon you because you're now associating with those who need, uh, they need someone to help them and they're in difficult places and you're gonna grieve with them, you're gonna cry with them uh, and you're also, your message is not gonna be welcome some places because there's powers in this world that, that as we've said many times, they benefit off the exploitation and diminishment of real human beings. And, and Paul and his friends came and stood against that, and they suffered. Um, work at your salvation with fear and trembling. Or Melody said the other week, press on. That's like you put your whole self in, isn't it? Press on. Um, so Paul uses two pairs of words in this passage um, to describe showing up, participation. Uh, one is, uh, the, in verse 10, he uses twice the word concerned. Concerned, And the second ones he uses are share, to have a share in this, share in this mission, or partnership. And there's two kinds of ways of participating here. One is mentally participating. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm physically participating, but I'm not mentally participating, okay? Um, but according to Paul, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the thinking part comes first. He's calling them to think well in order that they might live well or act well or physically show up. So the first thing, mentally showing up, uses the word concern. Does anyone want to hazard a definition of what concern means or to be concerned? Anyone? I'm concerned about you. <laughs> to, care. to care? Anything else? Any other thoughts about what it means to be concerned? What is concern? Huh? I can't, sorry, my rock and roll destroyed my ears, my darling. Worry, okay, to worry, yeah, to be preoccupied with, with it's, and it's not so much, I mean, you may be concerned about yourself, but in this context, it's most definitely concern about uh, others. Yeah, speak loudly around me. I think, you know, my, my punk rock years are catching up with me fast, guys. Um, so to be concerned, even, even the priest fix of that part, con, it, it's like a withness, it's like towards others. So really, it's like a mindfulness that's deliberately engaged, okay, and it's towards something or someone. So he says this in the text. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Why did he rejoice? He says, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Like, that's lovely. That's like a partnership. That's like, I, they're aware of me now. They're concerned about me. That's so healthy. He said, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So there's the kind of like the mind toward action. So you didn't have an opportunity to show. You were concerned, but then when opportunity arises, the concern leads to action. When concern meets opportunity, we will be ready to act. So he's saying, participate, show up mentally. Have our minds uh, focused on Christ and others in such a way that we have a heart of concern that is ready to act. And what about Jesus? Was Jesus concerned? Did Jesus live as a person with concern for others? That's such a great, it's such a perfect example and a model. And did Jesus' concern lead to action? 
And what kind of action was it? Was it an elevated action of himself or was it the opposite? It was a forgetfulness of self. It was an emptying of self and, and through the cross. And then the resurrection came later and the glory to come. But the model for Jesus was that concern led him to step into the mix and the mess with us. So Paul's saying, first of all, mentally show up. Consider your thoughts, how you think about, about God and other, and let God work to renew your thinking, renew your mind. And the second thing is physically showing up. Paul's calling them, if you want to learn the secret, can be concerned about how you think, but also be concerned about how you act to physically show up. He talks about sharing and partnership. These are two words. In, in the English, they're different words. In the Greek, they're exactly the same word. You might have heard of it. It's koinonia, this word koinonia. And it's, it's often translated fellowship. And it means like a, a literal, you know, person-to-person participation, showing up in the same room together, eating, worshiping, praying, being together. And he's saying, this is something that you must do. And he's actually pointing with a glowing pride on how they've done that. Not only were they concerned, but they actually sent a gift of money with Epaphroditus and that they are gathering together and he encourages them to do this all the more. Uh, this is while they will discover the secret together or they'll never discover it. They will discover the secret together, one to another. As we said, every different person is gifted and together we join together and we find that which we need in community. Um, so here's a, the next thing. If you desire to do this, you put your whole self in and you seek to be renewed in your mind and to participate fully uh, mentally, physically, you're showing up, I can tell you one thing that will happen. You will encounter very quickly your own weakness your own inability to do that which you think. And you may reach for a self-help book again and think something's wrong. Well, I'm not apparently doing it like he's doing it, so there must be something wrong. I need the secret. We're always longing for that one thing to tell us how to do it. But no, but it's the living of the life that is the place that we find it. And finding out that you are weak is one of the greatest gifts you can ever gain to realize that you are not that strong, you are not that bright, you are not that fantastic, and you are not that in control. Paul says to a letter to the church in Corinth, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. To him, this was a gift. Showing up fully in life, he discovered that he could not do anything except that what God was doing in and through him. Um, and he discovered that. And that's difficult though. It's difficult to come face to face with your own inability to control things. And, and it's, it's a struggle and can be painful. Um, so here's what happens then though. You discover another secret that Paul discovers and it's this, the secret of divine economics. That sounds kind of fancy, um, but it's really rather simple, I hope. <laughs> um, any bookkeepers here or accountants? Anyone do any like, work like that? Like, wow, what do you guys do? <laughs> like every week I like say stuff and like no one puts their hands up. I'm like, I've been through pretty much every career or profession you can imagine. You guys just sit at home all day watching TV? No, I'm kidding. That's me, that's what I do, except Sundays when I'm here, I preach. Um, but it's, but it's, the passages are full of all these accounting terms like the gift, giving and receiving, increasing to your credit, full payment. So once again, Paul's talking about things that they'd be familiar with, but then he's completely flipping it around because the economics that he's talking about have got nothing to do with the give and take, uh, credit, uh, debit stuff that we do on earth. It's a whole different paradigm. Um, People have wrestled in this passage with the fact that Paul doesn't say thank you at any point in this letter for their gift. Isn't that rude? 
Isn't the first thing you're taught when you're a kid, if someone sends you a birthday present, have you written your thank you cards yet? Have you written your thank you cards yet? And for the kids in this room right now who are thinking, yeah, my jerk father does it all the time, uh, his jerk parents did that to him too, and he didn't write his thank you cards either, so <laughs> confession time, um, you know. Um, but he doesn't actually say thank you. Remember, he's writing, though, to a place where reciprocity was how society worked, that you would have a benefactor, uh, and, and you'd be in their debt. If they gave you something, you owed them something. Paul, some say Paul did not want to put himself in that position with them, that they gave him a gift and now he owed them anything. He's talking about a whole different frame of reference about giving and receiving. So he doesn't say thank you um, because number one, he was satisfied. He was satisfied with what he had in jail, chained to a guard. But yet also he wanted them to realize something that neither were, as much as they were not his benefactor, he was not their benefactor, God was their benefactor. He was pointing them to, to God. At this end of the part, he just clearly points to say, like, God is the one who supplies everything. And he also says, your gift to me is actually a gift to God. He calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And God is the one who is the recipient of this and also the giver of all good things. So Paul says in verse 13, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me through Christ, and then he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Um, they were used to us, this city was full of like the powerful and the wealthy and people would long to be able to access that. Paul's now saying, the creator of heaven and earth is your benefactor, that which you need to come, you step fully into life and he will provide that which you need. Maybe not that which you always want, but that which you need fellowship, brothers and sisters. Remember Jesus said, for as much as you may lose fathers and mothers, you know, you will gain those people, the children and people of God. You will gain such deep, rich fellowship with people uh, and God will richly satisfy your deepest needs. Um, I'm gonna share, there's, a, there's a, a, a quote which I shared in the first service and I couldn't remember who said it. Um, but it's this. God will take full responsibility for the life that is fully yielded to him. That's his concept of benefactor. God will take full responsibility for the life that is fully yielded to him. So I say, God, take my life. And he says, I will take your life. You will lack for no good thing. Even though you're living in the midst of a broken world, a tragic, painful, broken world, like Paul, all of these things that he encountered, but he knew that God was with him and would promise to, to take responsibility for his life, both now and on into eternity. It's funny because I couldn't remember who said that phrase. And then Kayla, who's Christy Thomas's daughter, she's on staff, she came up to me proudly with her uh, worship guide and said, I looked it up. I'm a student. I couldn't not have that unattributed quote hanging out there. So she said it was Andrew Murray. And I was like, Andrew Murray? I know who that guy is. He's a South African pastor. I think I have a book in my office by Andrew Murray. So I ran up the stairs, rather than going to meet the leaders thing, because this was more important. And I grabbed the book. This is just after the first service. And it's called God's Best Secrets. I was like, what? So then I looked through to see if anything would fall out like money or something. Like it was a sign, you know? But nothing did fall out, except I remembered what this book's about. And what this book is about is that his concern as a pastor, this is like 100 years ago or so, was that people were trying to live this life and were disappointed that they were not encountering 
that which they read in the pages of scripture or that Paul was calling people to. And he decided that the main reason that they weren't is because they never got away with God and listened to him and searched his word and prayed passionately that God would continue to show. And I think that's that impediment. This is God's best secret. It's basically saying like, God has some stuff to tell you people <laughs> and me and you. And there is solitary times and, but to, and to get away and just to listen to still ourselves, which we never do today. We're all so busy. And just to stop and listen and say, God, you want to share some things with me that I can apply to my life right now? And it's just so cool. Kayla said that, and I'm going to find this book, God's Best Secrets. Um, it's, it's really a wonderful devotional. I know you probably have many, many on your shelves, but this is a pretty good one. Um, um, so here's the thing. The secret is not a secret. Paul's saying it's not a secret club this is for all people, all times, all places, and it really simply means that God has shown up in the world and he's willing to take your life and he will transform your life if you will trust him and step into the life as it actually is, not as you wish it to be. So really the secret is not a secret. And such is Paul's certainty about this. I love, he is a credible witness to this. He suffered and struggled and he is saying, I don't think he's making this up or lying, saying I discovered what it means to be. These people know, knew Paul, they knew him. It's pretty obvious to tell if someone's saying, I've learned how to be content, and then they're always whining and complaining. You're like, you don't seem very content, my friend. There was probably some kind of calm and joy about Paul, which was so at odds with the circumstances that he was showing in his life, that he was constantly being persecuted, and he had this poise about him. These people could tell. So he says this stuff, and, he, and, and, and then in this letter, Right toward the end, he bursts into praise, an expression of praise. He knew whereby he had found this, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. So right toward the end, he says, suddenly, and remember, this is not a perfectly beautiful letter written to be hung on a wall. This is someone's heart expression poured out onto a page and delivered to his friends. And at one point, after saying, God will meet all your needs in his riches in Christ Jesus, he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's just a rejoicing when he's actually thinking about it. You know something you're talking about something and you start to realize the magnitude of it as you're saying it? It's like Paul is writing down, he will meet all your needs. You don't need to worry. He will meet your needs. Live the life. Don't shrink back. Press on. Oh, to God our Father be glory forever and ever. And this is amazing at the end. This is vertical and horizontal of God that he is the provider. He is the benefactor. He is the one that carries us, holds us. But then he goes in at the end and says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So there's the vertical. The vertical is uh, with God. The, the horizontal he ends with is that you are not alone. There are many people, even in Caesar's palace, right? Not Las Vegas. Caesar's literal palace where Paul was chained in Rome, he had, had the opportunity in that difficult time to continue to live into his calling, which was to share the good news about Jesus with soldiers in Rome who needed to hear that too. And not some secrets. If he did this, there's a God who loves us, who created all things, and he calls us into relationship with him. And even in Caesar's household, men and women were coming to discover what Paul had been discovering. Um, but I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up uh, if they're still here. <laughs> not bad, Grant, not bad, time-wise. Um, because I think uh, this is a good response. This morning when I was preparing, thinking about this message, I felt really anxious. 
And I think the anxiety was because I, I, like I've got to know a lot of you people and I really care, I really care about, God has given me a concern and I wanted so, I want so much to come up here on a Sunday morning and give you the secret. Just give you the, the out, give you the pill, whatever it might be that will make all the pain go away. And, and it burdens me that I, I cannot do that. The message is not, the message that we here together today are here for each other, with each other, and there's a God who is with us. But it is a daily process of learning through difficult times, through mistakes and errors together. Um, but what I did, actually, I was in my office before first service, and I was just feeling like, wow, like, I really want to give something nourishing. And, and I suddenly, my, I just, my heart just turned to God. I had nowhere else to go. And I sang the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it changed my perception. I am one of us here. And I don't have a secret, but there's a God who loves us. And that's the message. And here's another thing. Sometimes we put so much pressure on a Sunday morning. I know I've done that. Oh, Sunday, what did I get from the message? Or how is that going to fix my life, etc.? You know, I really see this as, as a very momentary point. It's, it's important, I think, but I believe that we are preachers to one another. That's the beauty of the body. We proclaim the good news in good times and bad times to our brothers and sisters. That's the sermons. This is just one particular moment where I get a chance to do it with a microphone. But it's, a, it's an incremental thing daily, and that's the kind of body life we want to see here. Um, so we worship God together, and then we carry one another's burdens as we walk through that. So don't rush off at the end. You know, get to know some people. And if you see someone on their face, something different than what they're telling you with their mouth, how are you doing? Fine. If their face is telling you something different, ask them, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Um, but let's worship in response to God.